Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of... Woodworking? Yes. I'm Guy Dunlap <laughs> from Guy's Woodshop, and as always, I'm joined by Hui Huen, also known as the Alabama Woodworker. Good evening, Guy. Good evening, Hui. And Brian Schmidt. What's up, guys? Hey, Brian. What's up? All right. So this podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. And we also have a Patreon account. Right now we have one level and we're simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. So please go to patreon.com slash woodshoplife. I would also like to say hello to our newest patron, Michael Hill. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. And uh, we sincerely hope that you will give us your support. And stay tuned to the end of the show to hear about what we've got going on in our shop. So, Hui, you've got the first question. All right. So this is from Captain Awesome, also known as Tom Mm -hmm. Fagora. (laughs) Hey, Hey, guy, newbie Brian. First off, let me apologize for taking a month off from my regular queries. He is a regular here. I had to go ahead and dodge process server after a seven-year-old made me get my wife a toilet seat heater for Christmas. Second, I, I, happy- don't, I don't even want to know. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to know either. Second, happy new year to you and yours. Uh, may your 2023 be filled with etc. So he actually uh, entered this in the 2nd of January. That's why he's saying happy new year. Third, I got a hot one for you. Had a 30-inch diameter beech tree take- taken down out of my deck. In fact, actually was going through his deck and saved the bottom 10 feet, borrowed my buddy's chainsaw and Alaskan mill and slabbed it into eight quarter. Here's my conundrum. I am 95% sure I will use all but two slabs as milled lumber to make a big dresser. Would you, if you were in my size 13s, mill the lumber to rough size green slash now and then air dry it or dry it as stacked slabs and then mill it? I can see advantages and disadvantages to both approaches. I'm leaning towards leaving it as slabs only because beach is notorious for twisting as it dries. And I feel like less mass moves easier. That sounds about right. Uh, But then I consider that if I have innate tension within the wood, it's going to move when I mill it, no matter what. You're absolutely right. I have a whole bunch of other questions, but I'll leave that for later. Uh, You guys trying to break up a multi-parter would just throw my flow off. (laughs) Love you, miss you, Tom Fagora. Tell Hui he is the Alabama woodworker. Otherwise, if he was of the Alabama woodworker, he would be his own son. Call back from 20 episodes ago. All right. So does he leave it as a whole slab and dry it like that? Or does he break it into smaller boards? I would say, given that he probably already slabbed them, I would say he probably just go ahead and keep them uh, the way they are after they're slabbed and dry them like that. Um, I don't have a real reason as to... I I mean, there are advantages and disadvantages to keeping them uh, as slabs and obviously some advantages and disadvantages to keeping them in boards. One of which is if it does check... uh, if you keep it in a, as a slab, then if it does check or whatever, and you're creating boards, you can go along those check lines to split the boards. Um, I tend to go in that direction if you have the space. Uh, typically, however, the boards that I get from a mill are already straight line ripped. They're not even skip planed half the time. Um, so I think most places are, uh, most mills are straight line ripping them 
Uh, I know the premium shop here that we have uh, keeps them in slabs because people prefer slabs. I think it comes down to a preference. Me personally, um, I don't keep slabs because I just don't have the space for them. So what would you do, Guy, if you had 30-inch diameter beech tree that you were slabbing up? Would you? Well, I, I'm not probably not the best guy to ask this question. I don't know a lot about drying wood, but I think he kind of answers his own question. It says, I'm leaning towards leaving it as slabs only because beach is notorious for twisting as it dries. Mm -hmm. So if it has any tension, it's going to move whether you mill it now or later. It's right. just going to move, period, because of the tension. Correct. So if it's if it's slabbed already, just leave it as it goes. Leave it as it sits. You know, I've, I know that some guys will take those those slabs and I'll put a lot of weight down on top of them or they'll get ratchet straps and ratchet, ratchet them down to pallets to try to keep them flat through the drying process. Yeah. You know, that's something else you can do. Mm -hmm. um, but I do not have a lot of experience in this. I've seen, you know, videos and that that is about my knowledge as far as this goes. Brian? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, same as you. I, I really don't have any experience at all in this. The little bit of research I did online for this question seems to indicate that um, I think the word they use for beach is lively. It is lively as it dries. <laughs> it is going to it is going to move and you know be prone to to twisting and and some checking. It sounds maybe more so than uh, some of the other uh, North American species. So. I would I would just err on the side of uh, leaving it as as thick as possible, Tom. Um, if you've already slabbed it at eight quarter, then then maybe that's too late. But um, I'd let it go through through the drying and um, mill it mill it afterwards, uh, just mm -hmm. to give yourself a little bit better chance at not just ending up with uh, pieces of paper when when it's all said and done. Right on, right on. Yeah. Right on. Well, well, Tom, we know, we know you're going to do what you're going to do, though. <laughs> yeah. Let us know how it turns out. So, Brian, we're going to shoot this over to you. I think you have a two-part question. I do. I'm going to answer part one of it now. And this is from John. And John said, um, for somebody who's just starting out and doesn't have a planer or joiner, where should they go to get hardwood if they're looking to get started using hardwood in their woodworking do typical wood suppliers have an option to purchase already dimensioned lumber? I know a big box store is always an option. What species would you recommend getting started with? Any other helpful tips for this rookie? Thanks again, John. Um, so with no planer and joiner, John, I would go to somebody like Rockler or Woodcraft. You can either go in store or online. And I believe Rockler has started expanding their hardwood uh, selection in store. Um, I know the one in Indianapolis has a, has a pretty decent supply and their pricing is pretty fair too, um, for being a, a retail outlet selling that. Um, it's still going to need a little bit of milling, but I think you can get away with, without having a joiner. If you want boards that are already, um, really milled smooth, um, you know, like, yeah, 
I don't know. I don't know a great, <laughs> I, I was going to recommend a big box store, but I really don't want to recommend a big box store. So um, <laughs> I, I would say Rockler Woodcraft and you can go online or in store. The other one that um, you may find if you don't have one of those close to you and you're looking just for a variety is somebody like Bell Forest, mm-hmm. um, Bell Forest products online. Um, and those, they've got various size project packs for sale. Mm-hmm. So you can get something like 20 board feet um, of a single species or mixed species. And it'll be already surfaced to 13 16 So mm-hmm. whether you use a hand plane or just a, a lot of sanding, um, a lot of sanding. sanding. (laughs) Um, but they've got them straight line ripped on one edge. So if you've got a table saw, um, you could take that other edge square and end up with, uh, lumber that's, that's pretty close to surface four sides. Mm -hmm. Uh, we, what would, what would you recommend for somebody who's just getting started using hardwoods? Where, where would they go to get that? The only other place that I've ever used is woodworker source when I needed a bunch of sapile and, uh, I felt like their prices were fair enough given how much I needed, which wasn't a lot uh, because most of the panels were veneered anyway. So these were like for the base and legs and whatnot. So I had ordered from them and they were, it was surfaced and I just, I don't know. I ran it through my planer and joiner one more time anyway, just because I didn't trust it, but they do surface and, um, I will say this, that on top of that, you know, getting material that's possibly already surfaced that you don't have to, you can just start joinery and stuff on it. Just get in contact with your local makerspace. I mean, it's worth getting that membership. You're supporting something local. You know, you're you're keeping a resource for the community um, by getting a membership. Um, Typically, they'll have a joiner and a planer there. Um, And to me, it's worth... uh, investing in that kind of space for a temporary usage, you know, that you, so that you don't have to put a big investment in planning and surfacing tools. Uh, Guy, what are your thoughts? Well, other than what you guys have already mentioned, you know, I, I'll try to find a local hardwood dealer mm-hmm. other than like a, a Rockler or a Woodcraft or the big box stores. And, they all, if you can find a local hardwood supplier, a real lumber yard, I mm-hmm. guarantee you that they will mill your wood for you to mm-hmm. any thickness you want. Yeah. You just have to pay them. Yeah. And they'll usually charge by the lineal foot. So if you have a 10 foot board, they may charge a dollar a linear foot yeah. to plane it um, one time. so um you get four quarter they'll charge you like an extra 10 bucks to take that that 10 foot board and get it down to three quarter inches for you that's typically what it is so i mean uh, that's the first route i would go the 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 second route other than the makerspace like we i'd say you know sell your one of your kids and get a thickness (laughs) planer And make a joiner sled. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can get, I mean, for years and, I mean, for 20 years, I used a lunchbox planer. Yeah. And they're pretty inexpensive. And they, it was like $275 when, new? I, when I found new. 
Yeah. Then. <laughs> when I sold it 20 uh-huh. years later, it was still like $275. The price hadn't changed. I know prices have changed quite a bit now. Yeah. But they're they're fairly inexpensive. And uh, I really recommend that. You can joint boards a number of ways using a router, using a hand plane. It's uh, getting your boards flat, though. I mean, it's to me, it's a nightmare using a hand plane. I'd much rather just skip plane it through a through a thickness yeah. planer and run it through three or four times, taking off just little passes and, and getting it flat that way. Yeah, yeah. I, I I couldn't imagine not having my planer. <laughs> I mean, trying to yeah. do anything and really being bound by the. I know there are many ways to to make a board thinner, but um, oh gosh, it's just such a convenient way to <laughs> take a little bit off or to you know flatten something, not flatten something out, but to you know take out some unevenness, uh, you know, in a small panel glue up or anything like that. And, I watch I watch some of these guys that do everything by hand and they they're making like, you know, big cupboards and stuff like that. And they're just they're just spending like days flattening. Flattening. The <laughs> oh my God. It's like oh. it's like watching Roy remember Roy Underhill? <laughs> He'd be like covered with sweat when he got done. It was just dripping. It's yeah. just like so much work. Uh, yeah. So, and I, and I know the 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 question, John, is, hey, I don't have a planer or a joiner, and how do I start using hardwood? I mean, for yeah. as much money as you're going to spend in hardwood to drop the three to four hundred dollars just to get a lunchbox planer, yeah, it, over the life of your, you know, even over the next year of woodworking, even if you're just out there a weekend or two a month, I mean, you're, it's hard kind to it's hard time. to argue that there's anything that's better value than that planer. Yeah for um, what you're going to use it for and opens up a lot of different material options for you uh, down the for road sure. as well. Yep. So yep. for sure. Agreed. Guy, Agreed. I think you've got the next question. All right. And this comes from Adam Flack. It says, hello, gents. My wife creates some really detailed pyrography, pyrography, excuse me, which is uh, burning wood on offcuts for my woodworking projects. Usually I give them a light coating of linseed oil or tongue oil, but we found over time, and in particular when in direct sunlight, that burnt image fades quite a bit. Any ideas on a finish that would help prevent or reduce this fading? Thanks, Adam, and he is from the UK. Well, Mm -hmm. my first suggestion is don't put them in direct sunlight. (laughs) Barring that, I would use, there's a lot of um, products out there that are designed for outdoor use and to protect from UV light, like spar varnishes, epithane, things like that. I might try that. I I can't guarantee it would work, but it makes sense because those have UV inhibitors in them and it should help um, mitigate some of that lost do you have any any ideas brian well i was actually going to ask you guys um as it as it relates to spar urethanes is there one that you've used that you prefer over others like if you had to recommend you know a particular brand or type of spar urethane oil-based water-based is there any type of recommendation that you'd have for for me and our listeners the only type i've ever used is the helmsman spar Mm -hmm. urethane um, yeah. Mainly because it was available at 
I think Home Depot at the Depot. time. And it was a number of years ago. Okay. And it was for an outdoor project and it worked fine. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any problems with the, the, the wood um, that I used. It was like, a, oh, what was it? it Might have been mahogany, it might have been African mahogany. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. But anyways, the, the, the color didn't fade and it looked really good for a number of years. So that's mm. all I can do is, is recommend that. Hui, have you tried anything like that? I have not. Uh, I've not used spirourethane as of yet, but my father-in-law had used teak oil on actual teak that he used for a luggage cart. He, I had cut these thin like quarter inch strips for him for this luggage cart and he had finished it with teak oil. Um, and that seems to have last at least a year because he treats it once every year. So I think for a continuous thing that you want to sort of renew and keep it looking good, teak oil is a very easy thing to use. So possibly that. All right. Any, any other suggestions? That's a pretty light question. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. But I mean, I would have, I mean, you've already said spar urethane. In fact, actually, yeah, that's probably what I would prefer to use over, over teak oil because I think I, for me, for an outdoor finish, it just makes me feel better knowing that there's a film finish on it. I don't know yeah. why, but is I just putting, feel like. Is, is putting teak oil on teak a, a thing? Is that like giving a pig bacon to eat? <laughs> Can you do it? <laughs> Can you do it? I mean, the pig will eat it. I'm sure. Yeah. So. You know, yeah. we we have a teak, an outdoor teak sort of patio dining table. Yeah. And it was, um, it was a hand me down from a friend of ours that ended up getting a new outdoor patio set, and they had always put teak oil on it. But yeah. What ended up happening is by the oh. end of the by the end of the summer because they you know they wouldn't cover it. You know, they just uh-huh. leave it exposed all summer, and um, it was peeling off like a like a bad sunburn. And the oil was, yeah, the, the yeah wood. the finish. It kind of okay. kind of held on almost like a film finish. So oh, really? what okay. we ended up doing is I sanded it back to bare wood, and I just put a conditioner on it, not an actual finish, but a conditioner and a cleaner on at that point, and okay. just have let it have let it stay natural. So no, mm-hmm. no actual finish on it. And it looks beautiful. I left it uncovered all winter, which you're not supposed to do. But even then, um, yeah, it, it looks great. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's going that more natural gray look than yeah. like that yeah. warmer color that the, that the oil will give when you apply it. But I think that's what it's intended to do. How, how long did your friend have it that he was putting teak oil on it? Couple years, probably six, eight years. Okay. Okay, so that's a long time. So with no, sorry, but but annually having to sand it back and recoat it with teak oil. Yeah. Okay. 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 But 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 my question is, up until leaving it unprotected for a year, it had never grayed. His never. Yeah, he. I don't think he ever protected it. And every year it did the same thing and they finally got tired of it and bought like an aluminum table. Oh, (laughs) okay. Well, I guess that's my point. So it sounds like the teak oil was adding some UV protection for the color of the wood or the color, the the wood wasn't graying out or silver. 
Correct. Okay, that's what I was driving at. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. So, so the Helmsman teak oil actually says that that's what it does, blocks moisture and UV rays. Okay, well, there you go. I, 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 boy, I hope that answers your question, Adam. Um, yeah. Hui, back to you. All right, this is from Dylan, and Dylan is asking about wood turning and hard wax oils. He says, I use Odie's oil. I don't like it for furniture at all, though. I think it looks nice, but I question the durability. That said, I do use it for pens that I sell. So he's a wood turner. Uh, you do not get a high shine, but it does leave a nice natural looking finish with a moderate shine. Plus, it applies super easily and seems durable enough for my pens. I was wondering if you guys had a take on hard wax oils for wood turnings. We don't talk about lathe work a lot, so I figured I'd include it. Dylan. Uh, so actually, I did use a, a hard wax oil on a wood turning not too long ago. And by not too long ago, I say about like, probably three years ago. Um, <laughs> because I don't make a ton of pieces. I make like four or five pieces a year. Um, but I had these like little tiny drawer pulls that I had turned on uh, on the lathe. And I used the hard wax oil on that. And it it applies really nicely. I used Rubio Monocoat and I think I used the two part for it, uh, where you have the catalyst and, and, or the hardener and the oil. Uh, I wouldn't recommend actually using the two part because to me that kind of seems like stuff that you, you'd have to just mix enough to be able to use it for that turning. And so that kind of defeats the purpose of making it a one coat type finish for the hard wax oil. Uh, there are hard wax oils out there that are actually quite thin. Uh, Osmo has one and it's actually specific for dense exotic woods. And I know you as a wood turner, Dylan, you probably use a good bit of maybe dense or exotic woods because they look pretty neat on pens. So possibly look at the Osmo wood wax finish extra thin. It specializes for penetrating dense and exotic woods. Um, you might already know that, but for people that don't, there are other thinness or thickness material, uh, hard wax oils out there. Guy, I know you've t tried and tested some hard wax oil for furniture, right? Is that correct? Yes, I did. What, what were your thoughts on that? I know you've mentioned before, but hey, let's mention it again. I thought it was crap. Didn't like it. <laughs> Did not like it at all. I tried the um, Rubio Monocoat. Yeah. And it was just horrible. It, it, the, it went on nice. It, it looks nice and everything else. But I did a couple of tests where I put some water drops and alcohol on it. And it just it ruined the finish. And it wasn't very repairable without going back and seeing um, sanding it back and, and I let it sit for a week. You know, mm. I did all the stuff. It just, I just didn't like it. I just didn't like it. Gotcha. Um, and I never used it again. And I, I, I never rec, I would never, I would never recommend it to somebody for use. Um, when I do turn or when I did turn, um, mm -hmm. which was basically out of necessity, not, not because I, had a, an enjoyment of it, but just out of necessity. I never tried putting um, uh, one of these wax types of oils on. I have used wax before, 
Yes, for winter. And just heat and heated heated the wax up, and it just melts right into the wood. I've done that a couple times, and that worked really well. Yeah. Uh, how durable it is, I, I don't really know, but uh, it seemed to work fine for what I've been doing, what I did with it. Cool, cool. So, what do, what are your thoughts on that, uh, Brian? Have you have you done much turning at all? I have I have never turned before. Um, my what dad about- doesn't. Yeah, my dad doesn't have a lathe. My father in law doesn't have a lathe. <laughs> my shop's too small for one. Um, I've got a I, gigantic I, lathe. I don't hardly ever use it. I I really really do admire those people that do turn because yeah. it it truthfully Beautiful. blows my mind how that all comes together and and works. But I've I've not done it myself. The only experience I have using a hard wax oil mm-hmm. is. I actually didn't even apply it myself. I had to, I had to buy an extra long length countertop for a project I was doing for a client, and I sourced it online. And one of their finish options was um, Rubio Monocoat, and I went ahead and went with that. And given given that it was my only experience, and I didn't apply it, it's I, I felt underwhelmed, but I don't know if I I don't know. It felt it. Yeah, I don't know. It just didn't. It didn't feel like there was much luster to the wood after I applied it, and it or mm. after it had been applied. Um, but who knows? Maybe they maybe they didn't apply it correctly. So it's hard to. I don't think I could actually say that I don't like hard wax oil because I haven't yeah. really haven't really used it. I don't know if Rubio Monocoat really is what I would consider a hard wax oil. I look think more like the the. The Osmo or the Odie's oil. Odie's oil. Mm. Um, that's I mean, what Ruby, when, when yeah, I hear. Ruby, I mean, I think Rubio pretty clearly advertises themselves as a hard wax oil. Yeah, but I'm I'm thinking more of the stuff that you know. It, it's almost like a home brew where it's you know oil and people melt carnauba wax into it. Yeah, or, or something sure. like that, and. You know, that's that's what I think of when I when I think of it. Um, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyways, uh, I still have just I've never I've never I really don't have a strong opinion on it one way or the other, yeah. other than I'm not a big fan of Ruby and Monaco. Yeah, <laughs> that's all. I, that's all I can, can say. Can I ask a complete maybe a completely unrelated question? So, guy, you talked about when you used Rubio that time, it it did not provide great protection on a table, but that product is advertised as being great for flooring, finishing flooring. It was made for flooring. Yeah, it was made for flooring. What is it, like, why why does it hold up well on flooring where you're walking on it, trudging all over it, you know, wet, wet shoes and spills and this, that, and the other? Like, does it actually hold up better there than it does on furniture or is it just because the surface of furniture is under greater scrutiny that no i i I wouldn't think it holds up under that either but i will say this if you know i track water through my kitchen on a floor that's coated with that stuff if it's not cleaned up within the next hour or two i'm Mm -hmm. sleeping on the couch for a month (laughs) <laughs> so I guess my point is even in a commercial environment, people are cleaning that stuff up very quickly. 
I mean, okay. I put stuff on there and put a drop of alcohol and water on there and let it sit until it dried. And then I put more on it and mm-hmm. let it stay wet for like days yeah. before mm-hmm. it did something to the finish. I was torture testing it. So yeah. it's nothing I would put on a ta- on a piece of furniture. It may be good on floors if they're kept clean, um, mm. like they are in my house. Um, but I just didn't think it was good for furniture. And that's just mm. why I said me. I just didn't have a use for it. Mm. Well, Dylan, hope you'll... Oh, oh, so if I can offer you, Dylan, I've actually used it on two furniture pieces. One is a conference table and the other is a... Um, uh, Art Deco dining table with brass inlay on it. Both of them are very well taken care of by the owners and um, not folks that I believe will even uh, put coaster or not coasters would put water or things on their dining table without coasters because they're pretty much that neurotic. So I I didn't feel like uh, uh, they were at any risk of destroying their works of art. Uh, but that's the only two times that I've ever used them. So, all right. All right. So, uh, Brian, it's over to you. Okay. All right. And this, uh, is the other part of the question from John and John says, got another one for you guys. I have never used real hardwood for a project. Everything I have done so far has been with random scraps, pine or plywood. I was wondering what you guys would suggest as a good first project using hardwood. I do have a small variety pack of three species I picked up from Woodcraft a while back that was on sale. Three small boards that are essentially two foot long, one by fours. Couldn't tell you what species they are at this point. I'd thought about starting out making a simple wood mallet using these. Um, so John, what I would use those for, and it may be a little tricky and it may look a little little different given that they're uh, three species, but I would actually build a small valet tray out of that. And you can take one of your one by fours, which is probably one by about three and a half inches wide. And you could rip that right down the middle and end up with two pieces that are just under an inch and three quarters and um, do that out of two of your three boards. So you've got four, four pieces like that and use your table saw, miter saw, um, one of those and miter each one and bring it together, uh, to form the walls of a small tray. And then with your other board, I would cut that one in half. Don't rip it, but cut it in half and glue that, glue that into a small panel and, uh, make just a small little valet tray or kind of a, I don't even know if I'd call it a box cause it's going to be so low, but, um, mm. we've made, uh, dice trays out of these for playing, you know, small dice games and that size tray, uh, that works really well for that. Mm-hmm. We, what do you think? What would be a good first project using three small boards that are essentially two foot long one by fours? Well, I was thinking of a small, uh, small box, you know, pretty thin walled box. I mean, you said valet, that's great. I thin walled box. I, I, I really can't think of much other than a box because everything, everything that I think as a beginner that you'd want to do to sort of hone your skill would be pretty much 
making a box of, of, of a lot of different ways. I mean, a valet is a box, just a really shallow box. Yeah. So, Guy, what do you think? Wow. I I left a lot of meat on the bone for you, didn't I? My my initial thought is is to build a large media credenza, (laughs) but I don't think that's going to be enough lumber for that. I don't know. I I mean, that's not a lot of wood, but I've made a lot with less. And and typically what I do when I when I've got smaller scraps like that, yeah. I do make boxes. I've made hundreds of boxes. Uh, I find it very relaxing more than anything else. But boxes are, are a very good way to use up a lot of scraps like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're purpose, making something purpose, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. You, you make like very easy pride, like something like a, uh, something that, that goes on the wall that you hang your keys on mm-hmm. or a, a, a coat rack. Or a small hook or something frame. like that. Yeah, that I was gonna say maybe a small wall. picture frame. Yeah. yeah, a small picture frame. There's just so many different cookbook things. Stand. Cookbook, cookbook stand. stand. Yes, yeah, tablet phone stand. Phone yeah. stand, tablet stand. Yeah. Um, artillery. Art. Um, <laughs> there's just a lot of little stuff. And, you know, there are there are a lot of my my recommendation, John. And this is one of the good things about Wood Magazine. Uh-huh. Is that they not only have stuff for beginning woodworkers, but also for pretty advanced stuff. I'd yeah. go back and look at their back catalog of stuff. They got all kinds of really cool small projects. projects yeah, that you might be able to find. That that and it's not something where you have to be like super creative either. It's just you know this is what I'm going to make. You got a picture of it, and you can it'll have the plans and step by step instructions and really help you out. And hopefully hone some of those skills more so than just, a, you know, let's build a box kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So spoons, carvings. Ooh. Yeah. If you're into yeah. that kind of stuff, sure. <laughs> clipboard. Could make a clipboard. Clipboard. There you go. You don't have to make spoons. You could make uh, spurtles. What are spurtles? I don't know what a spurtle is. It's a, don't you remember that commercial? It's a spurtle myrtle. No, I guess not. <laughs> I have no idea. It's like it's like this little thing. It's like a, it, it's a cooking thing, and you you like use it to scrape pots and pans with when you're cooking, and that's it's just a big thing. It's stupid. I know. I'm so, sorry. Nobody knows. Is that back when you had to call a phone number to know what time it actually was, like before the before smartphones. <laughs> No, it's not like I, that. At I all, was Ryan. I was a child of the 1900s guy. I remember. No, this was only this was this was only like a couple years ago. Spurtle? Okay, I've got to look Spurtle. this up. Spurtle. It's a spurtle, Myrtle. All Anyways, right. Um, <laughs> all right. I've got the last question here, and this comes from Mason from Blair's Woodshop. He he writes in quite a bit. Thank you, Mason. I've been thinking of questions to ask, so I've got another one here for you. Um, I've been seeing a lot of advertising from Fine Woodworking Magazine about some online courses. I'm actually quite interested. I live in a rural area of Missouri, and before that, I was in a rural area of Southern California. So any kind of in-person class is always a two to three hour drive away. 
I know there's a lot of experience lost with the lack of hands-on and in-person instruction, but do y'all still think there is something to be gained through online live instruction? Most of my experience is through hours of research, reading, and listening to this podcast, of course. YouTube and on-hands experience. I feel I could learn some processes faster, even through a camera where my questions can be answered directly at that moment. Sorry about the long-winded question, but I'm curious of what you guys think about this. You know, this is a really good question, Mason, and, and the, the whole landscape of learning and like these woodworking shows that were happening, it's it all changed because of COVID. Yeah. These things just aren't happening anymore. And mm-hmm. what COVID did, it was kind of like 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 even you, Hui, you know, you work half of the time you go to you go to the office and half the time you work from home. Yeah. And it really changed the way a lot of businesses run and it really changed the way some of this education's program education programs run. Yeah. And there is a lot of online stuff. Not only fine woodworking, but wood wood magazine has stuff. Um, some individuals have their own online courses yeah. that you can do and do one on one. I know Glenn Huey has done some. Um, Scott Grove has done some. I'd love to take one of his. Um, there's just a lot of people out there doing it, and I think it's a great idea. I, I don't think they're that expensive, mm-hmm. but when you look at the cost of, let's say, going to, you know, halfway across the country, staying at a hotel, meals, all that stuff to have like a two or three day seminar, yeah, it, it, it can be really expensive even, you know, before COVID hit uh, with those prices. So... Um, I say if you if you see one of these things and it's a it's a they keep it small the, the instructors will say I'm keeping it to eight students let's say mm-hmm. those are the ones I'd really look at um, yeah. and I know there are a couple that do that they say I'm only taking this many students on there's only this many seats because if there's like 50 people doing this the chance of getting your question answered while he's trying to teach everybody else is going to be very slim. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you're just going to get uh, it's going to be like paying for a lecture. But there's nothing wrong with that. Paying for a lecture. But as long as it's not like three, four hundred bucks, it's you know, like 50 or 150 to 100 dollars to sit in while this instructor goes through something from beginning to end. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. Yep. What do you think, Brian? Have you ever taken any classes online or in person? You know, I, I haven't, I would, I would really, really like to, um, but the seasonal life we're in with, with six, 10 and 12 year old, it just hasn't, hasn't lined up to be able to do that, uh, from a cost and time perspective. I, I really like the idea Mason of being able to do, um, something online and live where, you know, maybe you're, I don't even guy, you said that you said that there are people that do this. Is it, is it a one-on-one type thing or is it a, no, is it it's a small a, like, group setting. It's usually a, it's a small, I've seen a couple where they've done small group settings yeah. where they'll have like six to eight people that they're limiting it to. 
but it's it's expensive. It's a couple three hundred bucks online, then, correct? Online, so yeah. Streaming, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. you can buy these courses too, where they're pre-recorded, right? And it's like you know six hours of recording. Oh, a good example, probably the best example, is that Mark Spagnola, Wood Whisperer, right. and his yeah. Guild projects. That's exactly what they are. You're getting you know four, five, six hours of instruction, and for it's the very price affordable. Of a couple, for a couple hundred bucks and it's very affordable that way. Yeah. And you can watch it at your own pace. Yeah. Well, I know when I, I got, I bought Mark's hybrid bench um, plans and, and gosh, I probably watch each of those videos at least twice just to kind of familiarize myself when I built the, my, my workbench uh, earlier this year. And it's really nice to be able to go back and rewatch and, you know, versus, maybe in that live setting where somebody teaches something and you're like, Oh yeah, it makes sense. And then it's done and over and it's past. You're like, what was that again? And yeah. So the ability to go back and watch, I know I really, I really just like being able to pick up. I'm not sure if this is really what he's asking, but the ability to just pick up the phone and, and ask somebody when I have a question. Um, yeah. And maybe it's, maybe it's not so much, technique and hey am i am i positioned the right way or you know how is this but like hey let me shoot a picture of this over to you and how would you approach this and hop on the phone and kind of talk through it and and brainstorm through it i mean that's that's both fun and helpful i find whenever i um get a chance to do that and i know i was like it when when one of my friends uh inquires of me that way and we can brainstorm on it together um so I, I, I think if the question is, what do you guys think of, of you know, online instruction? I think, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, Wee, what do you think? Sure. I absolutely think it's fantastic. It's wonderful. I have a number of guild projects. I've got online subscriptions to Fine Woodworking, Wood Magazine. I, at one point I had Pop Wood. I mean, these are wonderful resources. But uh, I'm right there with you, Brian. I think so, one of the best things is actually – the community around the woodworking experience, the fact that I can call you guy or, 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 or you, Brian, uh, I have talked to you, Brian, about this modern credenza that I, or sideboard that I want to build. Right. And we kind of passed ideas towards each other. And really that's, that's where I think the best amount of collaboration and learning happens is when you actually have a community around you, uh, you know, this China cabinet I'm building, I'm contacting Nicholas Venaria. Nicholas, you know who you are. Uh, and uh, talking to him about period pieces because he's built a good number of them and, and has experience, you know? So anyway, yeah, all those things are great, but also having a community around you is really great. Yeah, yeah that, that is true. You know, social media, especially Instagram. I, I've been on Instagram for a long time, to be honest with you. It's been months. Yeah. But I know back, you know, not too, not too long ago when I was on there, you know, a couple, three times a day, I would get maybe a half a dozen questions a day from people. I have no idea who they were. And they'd ask me questions. I was more than, more than happy to answer them. And I had questions sometimes and I was asking people that I knew, you know, that, and and, and that is hugely valid. Brian is very lucky (laughs) because he, he works in a place where we've got, yeah. Two people that are very experienced woodworkers and a couple guys that are yeah. decent woodworkers yeah. that he can always ask questions of. 
And I do. <laughs> and he does. So that's, you know, that's, and plus he's the boss. We can't tell him to go get bent. <laughs> hey, I'm busy. That sounds like a personal question. I can't answer that right now because I'm working. So, um, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. We, we, we all help each other out. But that, but that is a good example of yeah. using the, the, the resources around you to, you know, not only help, but also to help others. Yeah. So yeah. pay it forward, yeah. you know, kind of thing. For sure. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go on my, you know, get off my lawn rant here, but it's uh it's a positive one. I think that, I think that the art of talking on the phone, I think that is a long lost art yep. form yep. and it's so tempting to just try to text back and forth or maybe direct message back and forth. And there's a time and a place for that, but really some of the, some of the most fun experiences I have, you know, when I'm collaborating with somebody, maybe it starts with that to share a picture and sort of pose a question initially, but then it's, it's getting on the phone or a FaceTime or something like that to, to actually talk through it and have some, have some real life old school dialogue about it. So yeah. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Brian. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it for our questions. What you got going on in the shop, Brian, now that your self-imposed Lent uh, fast fast yeah. is over? Oh, man. It was I know you're in wonderful. the shop now, but are you actually I, I am, working on anything? Yeah. Um, I have about 90 board feet of ash uh acclimating right now that is going to make its way into um a desktop for some built-ins i'm doing for a client they also have i don't even really know how i'm going to build it yet which is part of tomorrow's problem but it's going to be three floating shelves but they're going to be and they're you know five five ish feet wide probably eight to nine inches deep um with a three and a half or four inch tall face on them and they're going to be three sort of stacked vertically and there's, but there's going to be kind of a, a connecting piece on alternating ends. So, and it'll have almost like a, like a vertical slat look to it for like a little small, like eight inch wide panel on each, each opposite end so that it kind of like snakes around. I don't exactly. I am totally and completely lost. It's a horrible <laughs> description. Wow. <laughs> this, this, this will be, I am normally a, I mean, I am normally a like draw it all out, script it all out. And then, and then reverse engineer, like build it backwards type of person. This one may be i I'm going to build three shelves and I'm going to figure out how I'm going to kind of connect them together and in what order. Um, okay. You know, that's okay. that's actually a lot of fun just yeah. building stuff on the fly. I've done that. Yeah. I don't really like many, that, many but, times. But I may have <laughs> you to. Don't like I it. may have like to. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Love it. What about you, Hui? Oh man, so I carved out these bra- OG bracket feet on uh on my CNC. That is the first oh, time gee. I've ever done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh my OG. Yeah, <laughs> OG bracket feet on the. I I mitered them. I did not do that on the CNC. I mitered them. I splined them, and then I 
flush trimmed everything. And that's when I had an accident on the router table. What'd you I do? Was, uh, so I was flush trimming the profile on these OG bracket feet. And I must have been in some really gnarly end grain. And I was using this compression bit and it flipped the piece over and it caught the tip of my finger. You, it's probably not very, you might, you guys might be able to see it, but you oh, see that, that little yeah. thing, oh, whatever. Gosh. I lost a little piece of nail. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I was really scared. Uh, You're lucky, I, I, yeah. yeah, I was very lucky. I went to the emergency room because it looked a lot more gnarly than it really was. But still the fact of the matter is, is that I was very lucky that I just nicked the tip of my yeah. finger. Um, yeah. I lost a little bit of the nail, not much. And I will not lose the rest of the nail because it did not hit the matrix, mm -hmm. the the root of the nail. Uh, it was just the tip right there. You guys can see that little, yeah. little bit right there. Wow. It, it was a lot worse, man. It, I'll tell Do you what, a compression bit can really, yeah. can really mangle skin. Thankfully, again, it was just a nick, so it wasn't yeah. anything terrible. We have, we, have, we have a saying at work. Hey, Brian, what's the number one way to keep don't stick your hand in the spinning part. Yep. Yeah. That's the number one could, rule. We could, do you think in hindsight, could it have been avoided? Is there a way you, if you had to do it again, what would you have done differently? I would have used a, uh, what do you call those clamps? The, oh, you, you know, the Jorgensen, the Jorgensen clamp, the cross crisscross type clamp. You know what I'm talking about, yeah, right? Like the, the wooden yeah. vice clamps. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Clamped it in that, held it on the outside, had my hands on the outside as opposed to my fingers here like this, so that when it caught and but flipped you're the an piece. But you're an experienced woodworker. You shouldn't have to do anything because I know everything. That's that's what goes through my head yep. as I'm doing. You know, I'll, I'll be fine. I've done this yep. a million times. I'll be I've fine. done it a million. Yep. Yep. I've done it a million times. I'll be fine. Yep. That's, Just a, that's called hubris. Yep. Just a little Jorgensen wooden clamp. And that would have been yeah. just fine. And it would yeah. have held it down and it would have added some weight. And my fingers would have been away from anywhere close. And if the piece flipped, the piece would have flipped and it would have just flown out of my hands. My hands weren't by the router bit. Yeah. That's that. That would be the simple reason for me not getting hurt. And I did not do that because I'm so confident, right? Yep. You get so yeah. complacent just holding, ah, it's a small piece. I know. I'll just hold it. It's fine. How, I've how, done it how big was the piece that you were working? Uh, Five inches by eight inches, but it's the profile in that square piece, right? Yeah. So I had uh, cut it really close on the bandsaw, maybe an eighth of an inch. Anyway, Yeah. just prop get good work holding people. Yeah. Learn it from me. Right. Well, that's safety. That is safety design or safety rule number nine at Purposeful Design is to follow the twelve-inch rule. Workpieces twelve inches or shorter may require an alternative method. Right, guy? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. All right. And if it Danny is would be, smaller, Danny if Luke it is smaller than that, you right have now. to seek. You have to seek out one of three people in the shop to find out what that alternative method is. It's not like you can think of it on your own. That's true. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, um, I'm really happy for you, Wee, that that wasn't yeah, yeah. more more uh, scarring than it was. I know. I think what what I was nervous about was that it happened, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, there's a lot of blood." And then I was like, "This isn't hurting as much as I think it should," and that kind of got me a little bit like, 
did I lose nervous? Is like, is it deeper than I think it is? Yeah. So I went to the emergency room and didn't need any stitches, but they you did went use to the, the emergency room for that little neck. <laughs> what? Oh, it, I said there was a lot of blood. Gosh, it's blood God, I hate you. <laughs> oh my God. I get cut. I, I bleed like a stuck pig because I'm a blood thinner. But yeah. I mean, oh my gosh, that little neck. Oh. They use the Dermabond stuff and it was pretty neat. So yeah, that stuff works really well. It does. So I've got nothing going doing, on Gary? in the shop. Nothing. <laughs> as usual. What um, about that cabinet for your printer? Uh, I haven't started that yet. I was, I was going to start it, but it, it got put to the back burner because my wife decided she wants me to to redo the closet in our bedroom. Oh, so last good. weekend, I pulled the what cabinets were there out. I ripped the carpet out. And I put down a new floor. Oh, nice. that was my weekend. So you used the chop saw a lot. No, 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 no. no. It was a laminate floor. Handsaw so, with a shooting board. No, it was just a. <laughs> it's it's like it's like you 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 cut a couple boards and you're you're done. Um, yeah, I understand. It was fine. I, it didn't take. I, I was I used a. Uh, circular saw with just a speed big, square. Uh, I didn't quite catch big that. square. Siri, stop that. <laughs> um, just a big square, and I just cut it on a piece of MDF, so it was not a big deal. But I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm never working on my knees again like that for three or four hours. It killed me. That's yeah, brutal. Just killed me. I hear you, man. Yeah, especially got an old, an old fart my age. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for the show. And we would like to thank everyone who has left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us in the search rankings. And, of course, we appreciate the support and the feedback. So please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have woodworking questions and you would like the thrill of it answered here, you can send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. And I can be found at Guy's Woodshop online, just and just about everything. Just search for Guy's Woodshop. And where can you be found at, Hui? AlabamaWoodworker.com. All, right. All the links to my socials are there. And Brian? Uh, I am not on... Uh, Instagram, but I am on simplecove.com at Brian Schmidt. All right. Very good, guys. That was, uh, that was fun. And uh, we'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. All right. Talk to you in a couple. Talk to you in a few weeks. <laughs>